With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening right around the country. We talk all things fishing, boating and relationships. <laughs> I, I hate what you're doing right now because... Good morning, Redmond. <laughs> Good morning. We were just talking, well, I like to say off air and then all of a sudden you've just gone bang, we're on. And mid-conversation, I'm tipping you're going to finish the conversation right now. No, we're forever on listening. We've been, we've been talking about relationships and you've been having a few arguments with your <laughs> wonderful partner, Kari. And I said, you need to get these up. She's, she's pregnant. I second, hope she doesn't listen baby. to this show because it's going to cause number round two. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get me in some serious SHIT here. I'll tell you what. Uh, You've got to ease up on your partner. They're, she's a she's bit emotional pregnant. at the moment. She's, and she's carrying, never, she's, she's she's carrying never, your unborn child. She's never been emotional before. Well, just normal. And never. And then at the moment, she's... Emotional and she because she's pregnant. Why should I have to change for her? <laughs> <That's just laughs> that was I, I. I honestly hope she's bloody not listening to this because I will be in strife. Is your shed warm at night? <laughs> no, but your boat is. Your cabin is your boat. <laughs> Mine's cold, but you're got a door. <laughs> it's, oh. it's been a uh, great week of fishing. For well, us. We are speaking of your boat too. We headed out and had a great day on uh, Wednesday. We got some beautiful snapper, some squid. And a few whiting, actually, with the Channel 9 crew. So we had a bit of fun there. That was a good day out. But the more... Well, normally they're a pain in the ass, sort of chasing me around. <laughs> like, you know, you get to the footy club and there's Corey, know. Corey with his microphone and got a camera in your face and they're asking about why Geelong's too old and you're bagging <laughs> the shit out of me on radio about uh, why Geelong's too old. But he asked us, he said, can we come out and talk about real adventures in the show and, and, and take us for a fish? So we took the boys out and... Um, Great day. You couldn't have picked a, a better day, apart from the fact that we're obviously heading to towards the full moon, but absolutely ripping day. It was, and the fishing wasn't fantastic, but we made do with what we had, and we followed those right things that we always talk about on the show, Pat. Your tides, your calm weather. Uh, had to get out of that dirty water because of the rain coming out of the river, so we had to push a bit deeper for the snapper. But the only... Not the only positive. It was a fantastic day. Everything was positive. But the best thing to come out of the day was... We got your boat in the dry stack. We've officially done it. Fantastic. It exists. The dry stack exists. I've been calling him for two years, and your boat is in the dry stack. Now, what I've written in front of me here is let's talk about the pros and the cons of actually putting it in the dry stack. Now, for you, there's a lot of pros rather than a little cons. And dry stack, for those unaware, is it's, it's literally dry storage at a marina. And yep. in terms of convenience it's dry water and the <laughs> in terms of convenience uh and the pros for doing it 
we call up they the Queenscliff um, dry, dry stack where we, we store it, um, launch the boat. You get there and it's ready to go. Yep. So there, there's like there's a fee. It's about seven grand a year. So it, it's expensive. But when you think about how much people spend on boats, you want to actually be able to use it. And one of the big stresses, and and you've spoken about this before, it's a big boat, a seven and a half meter boat. Well, the thing is, we say seven and a half, but it's you're not. It's not seven and a half when you're towing it. You've got engines sticking out the back. You've got drawbars of trailers. You're literally, well, what would you say? I'd say you're overall 10 plus on the trailer. Exactly. And then you're plus... The five metres of car. Five metres. Look, it's... You're 20 bloody metres long on the road. Like, it's quite... It's a big, big thing to haul around. So, safety aspect, you're not towing it everywhere. Then you've got to pull the con into it that you can't tow it to where you want to be all the time because it's in that specific spot. Yeah. So, that's where sort of my boat will come into play where we need to zip somewhere. We're always that way. But the other thing is... We do have your trailer just sitting sitting there to put your boat on. So it's not an inconvenience. Uh, but a seven and a half metre boat, as much as it says it's travel, and they certainly are, but you, it's a, it's a, it's still a big boat to be hauling around. It's another hundred grand in a car too. Yeah. You've got to buy the car to tow it. You've probably got some stupid electric thing that you lined up for next year or something. Don't you? But it's, uh, it's, it's, they're a big boat. It, it, I keep repeating it because when you're actually pulling it around, you go around corners, even petrol stations, like you've got a radar on the top. And I said to you the first time we pulled in, I said, just jump out and check if we're going to hit the roof here. And you're like, no, no you're not even going to get close. So just, I, I don't think we'll hit. Just make sure. And I think it was at four metres or something, the top of it. And you got out and I made you get out and have a look. And you're like, oh, that was actually closer than I thought. So you, you've got height issues too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then insurances with towing, you've got tow ball weight and all the crap that comes involved. So I'm glad it's in there. It's going to make your life a hell of a lot easier to buzz them on a Friday to drop it in at 5pm and then you rock up at 6am the next morning and it's in there ready to go. go. Yep. Uh, also, storage of... Uh, you've got the theft side of it too, which isn't too worried because yours is actually in the shed in itself. But you do want... like the. the the importance of having a lock-up cabin, yep. I think, regardless of what you're doing, even if it's, a, it's an overnight trip to a caravan park or whatever it might be, I reckon that's an important thing to have now. Yep, or You can lo- lock all your gear up in that forward berth and then you don't have to lug it from the car or from your tent. It just it simplifies it. Well, this is going to be the next question that I asked you was uh, something that you've asked me to help plan with, uh, getting basically the boat ready to go. So it yeah, actually is ready to go. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to put bunks in the front, blah, blah, blah? Well, we've, we've got the, the V-berth, as all sort of boats that size do. But one of the things that we're going to change that we've sort of learnt pretty quickly is when you do when you do have a boat of that size, you really you want to be able to have everything there ready to go. And because you and I both fish from your boat, mine, and then the little stavy, and then we've obviously been doing a bit of trout fishing as well, um, we're gonna we're gonna put some storage um, in the front V berth where we can actually have the the rods um, hooked to the ceiling essentially, so we can keep four game rods in there and four snapper and and whiting rods. So it's a literally a turnkey operation and because a bo- it's a pain in the backside because you can't get the car to the boat in the shed as such. Nah, exactly. So you have got to carry everything. Yeah, and I, you bailed on me during the week. And I won't lie to you, my ticker isn't working real well at the moment. It was sun was out. It was a prick of a walk back and forward from the car park to the actual uh, to the actual boat in itself. And uh, well, I had I was taking the um, 
This is a nice segue. I took uh, our first year Geelong Cats players down to the Otways and, and we fished just behind Lawn, the Cumberland River. And sometimes you can forget how great the things on your doorstep are. And and for those that haven't experienced sort of the Otway region and all the little reeks, uh, creeks and uh, streams through there, it's such a great fishery. Now, they're not good eating fish there. You don't keep the fish that you catch there because... They just don't get the food supply. So it's not like you're, you're fishing in the, the same streams that you would in New Zealand where you really pull yep. big, big thumpers out of there. But the brown trout through there are just spectacular. And the walks that you go on, uh, you know, that's an adventure in itself. So our, our young fellas, they, they absolutely love it. Just char- casting um, metal salters. Was there any of the young boys that you wanted to push into a rock pool? Anyone annoyed you? Who, well, who was funny. a pest? Nigel Lappin <laughs> fell over. <laughs> did he really? Three times I just said him the other day too. I would have liked to bring that up, brought that up. <laughs> uh, Brad Close, who is a bit of a fisherman. He, he uh, Those rocks do get a little bit slippery, but just the balance and just explaining to the boys, as you, if you're going to fish those sort of creeks and streams for the first time, how important connection to the salter as soon as it lands on the water you've got to be retrieving yep. it and a, and a consistent retrieval so that um it's spinning properly but the other thing is you're not fishing from the bank of of the the streams or the little pools you've actually got to be casting before that because if you walk up to the the edge of all those creeks and streams you'll spook all those trout and you'll ruin every pool because as soon as you spook one bang they're all gone. It's reaction. It'll go and hide, and that'll spook the other fish there as well. So, you've got to you've got to learn um, to cast from a bit of distance. You know, bow and arrow cast, which we've spoken about before, because there's a lot of uh, coverage over the top. So, um, there's a bit in it, but they they absolutely loved it. Um, what about your your week in fishing? Your report for Salt God. What do you have for us? Yeah, we got some. We had the full moon, as we, you mentioned off the start of the show, which makes life a little bit harder. Those slow, steady tides that just don't do much. So the whiting fishing was there, but not there. So it was a steady bite rather than a hot bite. Uh, you picked that stronger tide, it was a bit better, which was the outgoing tide. The snapper, we've got a question that I've seen, so I'm not going to go too much about water temp because there is a question for the social club a little bit later regarding uh, water temp, Pat. But water is cold in the bay. It's cold, but up the top end of the bay, that Altona to P2, sort of Faulkner Beacon area, went nuts for snap. It was our first official day where it just went ballistic. We had the southwest wind, the barometer was coming up, and every single boat got their reward when who was out there. A little bit blowy, but the fish went stupid. Like, first actual day where every boat went completely nuts. Uh, The squid will drop their eggs. They would have dropped yesterday or today. They'll start to drop. Uh, so I'll be on to those, the new patches of those, hopefully in the coming days. But it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't a super, super productive week uh, other than that snapper bite just due to that slow tides in the moon phase. But it is cray season. Cray season has opened as of, well, sort of into the, during the week. And it's... Uh, it's cold in the water. Don't be stupid. Don't <laughs> even consider it. I'm not even going to talk about it. <laughs> what temp did we have? We had in the ocean, we had... And thirteen five or thirteen eight yeah, or something in the ocean, which is this time last year it was sixteen, and I I still wasn't in the water this time last year due to the water being too cold. But if you are a cray diver, which I am, but I I just don't I don't like being cold. I just don't like it. I'm getting soft in the old age. I tell you what, but <laughs> it's it's freezing cold. But the crays will be there. Uh, 
they're probably getting a little bit shorter on the time side, but if you're interested in a dive hooker, Pat, to get you into it, it allows you to dive up to that 12 metres, a uh, bit deeper as well, up to, if you get a decent one, but average is that sort of 5 to 12 metres. People like to dive on the dive hooker who's getting into cray diving. Uh, you're looking at a few grand for a good dive hooker. I wouldn't be buying anything cheap and crappy. Get your filters serviced and whatnot. Uh, if you're looking at tanks, they're $400 a tank. Uh, they're bloody expensive, and you've got to obviously get them in service every year, which I haven't done yet, so I need to do. Uh, but then you've got your general kit, so your uh, your regs, your BC, etc. That can range from a thousand bucks to three thousand. Now, I used when I was younger, I used to buy a kit for around that eight hundred to thousand dollar mark. And that was what I could afford. And obviously, as I got a little bit older and could uh, afford a little bit better gear, uh, that's when I ventured out and bought a few grand stuff. Now, I'm not going stupid on gear because I only dive up to sort of that 15, 18 metres. Yeah. I can trust that slightly cheaper gear. It's If something was to go wrong, which it won't, it doesn't or haven't had an issue, uh, you'll get away with that slightly cheaper gear. But if you are a diver who likes to dive deep, I'd be definitely going more expensive because you don't want anything wrong if you're 40 metres down or 30 metres down on a shipwreck. Uh, so it is a bit pricey, but it is very rewarding as it is my favourite thing to do once we are not uh, in Antarctica. Big police say prepared uh, for longer delays at boat ramps and that's been echoed right around the country, particularly those uh, destinations that have been in lockdown. So you're looking really, um, particularly Victoria and New South Wales, uh, less of an issue in other states. They're going to focus on drug uh, and alcohol testing this summer so make sure you're boating responsibly redmond uh do you reckon we get checked enough well i'll I'll give you an idea i fish close to five days a week i don't reckon i would get checked by police i don't and i I do understand that i have have a bit of relationship with them too and they probably more trust trust that i'm doing the right thing but i'm talking about your average punter have you ever been pulled up on the water and breathalyzed or tested? I reckon in my entire boating history, I've maybe twice been pulled up, and checked, ne- and never breath test or never breath test. So, do we get checked enough? Because I know for a fact, and there's an irony to that because, like drinking whilst driving a boat, you might think it's safer. Boat's one of the most dangerous things for those that have no and, idea what and, they're doing, and everyone does it. As bad as it sounds, I, I not sorry, I shouldn't say everyone. A large pe- amount of people will Think take okay. ten yep. cans out and yep. go drink them on the boat, and then they go home. But then you got the problem with the car too, yep. and so I don't, I don't, I don't think it's checked enough. Uh, personally, yep. um, it's going to be a blitz this year at ramps. So they're saying uh, the delayed side of things at ramps and uh, uh, I guess facilities like the Queensland Dry Stack and the harbour in itself, where they're going to be doing a lot of this testing for drugs and. Uh, alcohol uh-huh. will be inter- interesting to see, but I know for a fact that, well, actually, when we went out with the Channel 9 crew, I'll be honest with you, we had, that night, I had two beers on the boat and had a couple of mates that had a few more, and I was a designated driver, and I, I think there was maybe 12 or 13 cans in the in the tub I took out fishing the next day with yourself, and it, um, it, it I made sure that I was a designated driver, I had a couple of beers, but I was under 0.05, yeah. and, but, like, Every, you need to make sure that someone is 0.05 that's doing the driving, otherwise you'd kill someone. Especially given the fact that people, you know, those in Victoria and Queensland have been under, uh, New South Wales have been under lock and key for so long. Still got to do it responsibly. Uh, we've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way this morning. Paul Worsling from iFish is going to join us. He's going to talk about his favourite destinations from each and every state. 
But coming up next, we've got the Social Club and we'll find out what's biting in your part of the country. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time to find out in uh, with what's happening around the country, Redmond, what's biting around the country. And we're going to start in Tasmania. Winyard Breakwall fishing extremely well for Taylor and Salmon at the moment. Metal lures doing the job really, really well. So we're talking sort of 30 to 50 grams. You don't need to go know super heavy with it because you want to get your distance on the cast that's obviously. right yep just that average sort of i think up to 70 grams i wouldn't be going much more than that yep uh just remember i always say it the tailor teeth yep. so so what so i wouldn't be leader going wise leader wise i wouldn't be going much less than sort of 30 yeah um because those tailor and they're not fussy they're an aggressive schooling fish the more fish that school up what one individual fish is hard to catch because it has no competition. Yeah. When there's a school of tailor or salmon, there's a school of 500 fish, they're competing against each other, they're not thinking straight. Yep. They're like me, couple of jamos, mackers, I'm on. That's what it's like. <laughs> just give me everything you can get. So it's it's seriously, it's just, it's about getting into the school of fish. That's the key part. Grab a good pair of sunnies, polarized. You know that I wear tonic, they work a treat if you want to try them out. And, they make a difference. Like you during the week wore the fishing sunnies and the, you can see the squid egg. They make a difference. Yep. They will catch you more fish. Same as with the schooling fish off these rock walls and beaches wherever you are. Fishing uh, just south of uh, fishing off Southport, the Tassie Trumpeter are on fire. We spoke about it last week, but there was even more reports this week, so that's really great. One of the great tasting fish in the sea. The it is beautiful eating fish, actually. And, and I actually never caught one, but I've eaten it. So it's a yeah. be- beautiful fish. Uh, crayfish as well, di- down south of Tassie as well, is, uh, diving or using the legal hoop nets, whatever you want to do, make sure it's legal. But the diving side of it is going really well. But if I've got 13 degrees here, I'm tipping Tassie's a little bit colder, so you won't see me <laughs> in the water. Beauty points fishing well for Trevally. Now, with Trevally, uh, you're actively fishing again, soft plastics. Now, anything with a tail, a tail, so like your turtle backs or your Z-Man curtails, anything along those lines are going to work well. Now, for some reason, I don't know why, but pumpkin seed and also motor oil just works. Did you uh, say motor oil? Motor oil is the motor oil is the actual colour that the, it comes in. That's the flavour. Uh, I'm not even joking. I, I thought you would like meant like <laughs> dip it in motor oil. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure environmentally that's going to go down super well. I've heard WD forty works well, but no, it's actually the it's actually the we'll call it the flavour of the plastic that you're using. So you got pumpkin seed, the motor oil. It's it's that sort of motor oily colour, that 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 greeny sort of dark look. That's what it is. Uh, WA Dampier Peninsula producing great barramundi at the moment, as well as queenfish as the bycatch, which isn't a bad bycatch as they jump and carry on. Uh, you and I got a, I got my first ever can, queenfish with yourself in cans that carried carried on that time fishing. Out of uh, Mission Beach, so that was pretty bloody fun. Uh, and but did more... you see the? Um, this was terrible. But there's a. There's <laughs> did a... you see this is terrible? Well, there's a over the weekend. There's a fifty odd foot Riviera that that struck a reef off Rock Nest, and its ass was hanging low. No, it, I didn't it see this. Sank. Oh, it was it was horrendous. I felt that sorry for the poor buggers that. Um, Going back to the haven't stayed inside your. Um, I'm going back to the start of the show where drugs and alcohol are being tested in Victoria. <laughs> well, that's a great. Point. <laughs> the fads are back in the water off Perth and Rockingham. Now, last year, very successful 
pelagic fish, mahi-mahi, big mahi-mahi bulls were caught off these fads. So really exciting for the WA crew. Uh, heading to Streaky Bay in uh, South Australia. Very consistent reports of uh, whiting this week. And just one thing I want to clarify, and I've seen this on social media, and I've seen it throughout uh, Victoria reports and, and whatnot, is salmon and Tommy Ruff are two different things. Now, I don't know the exact limits and bag limits captures for salmon in South Australia, but I know for Victoria, Victoria, that's two, they're two different species. Yep. 21 centimetres is the rule and regulation for salmon, and Tommy Ruff would look very similar to salmon. There's actually no size limit on them. Yep. So I use them, all those small Tommy Ruffs for my squid baits, and this will work in South Australia too with the reports that I'm giving you right now uh, for your squid, but they're two different fish. The Tommy Ruff has a rougher outside of it, a different black colour on it as well. As you just showed me, the Riviera that's sinking on your phone. That's, uh, that's not good for those people. It's horrific. <laughs> and uh, so make sure you do know the difference because if you do get caught out uh, with an undersized salmon thinking it's a Tommy Ruff, the fines can obviously hurt you. Uh, bottom fishing off Marion Bay, red hot with nannies coming over the side with big morlongs as well. Just quickly for New South Wales, micro jigs, Patrick. They fished. They outfished the bait. I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it, but it did. And the, <laughs> the, the snapper up to sort of 60 centimetres straight out of Burmy. So Monty Island out of Naruma, Burmy, wherever, whichever direction you're coming, uh, they fish much better, micro jigs. And just a slow-pitched one as well. So nothing fast, but just slowly pitching them off the bottom. Might be a 40-gram or a 60-grammer, and that that's going to catch your snapper through there at the moment. Off the beach out of Burmy, 15 kilo Mulloway was landed. Now, that fish is gone, but I'm tipping there might be a few more as Mulloway can school up, and they were on glide baits. You've got snapper to 60 centimetres in the port hacking on three-inch plastic, so that would be your minnow side of things. But I'll always throw it in there, going back to the motor oil. Turtleback worms, motor oil, pumpkin seed, they, are, I believe, are, is the best all-round soft plastic. So don't be afraid to go along that side of it too. It's even more than the nuclear chicken. That was very So the nuclear chicken minnow ago. is, I reckon, what they're talking about here, the three-inch nuclear chicken. They are fantastic. I don't yeah. know. The turtleback just catches everything. It's my go-to. And uh, last one, Watson Bay had some... Now, good legal kings, but there's a lot of small fish to get those good legal kings. So you're yeah. working through the fish, and they were all caught on surface. The bigger fish, and I know I always say kingfish, I don't like to catch on poppers, but the bigger fish did come on poppers. So the reason that I, I harp on this a little bit, I've, you don't, you often see bluefin jumping out of the water to eat their food, Pat, but you don't often ever see kingfish actually leave the water to jump out. You don't, you see them tailing on the surface, so they feed on the surface, but you don't often see them coming out of the water. Hence, why I'm not a massive popper fan. They do catch them here and there but I'm more of your subsurface stick baits that for, for my kingfish. So that's another little thing tip for you guys if you are chasing these kingfish. That wraps up our whip around on what's biting around the country. It's time for the social club. We take your questions from social media. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, make sure you send us a direct message on our Instagram or on our Facebook or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. The first question this week's from Greg. Uh, boys, I was chasing snapper in Port Phillip Bay. The water degrees, uh, the water temperature is fourteen degrees. What's going on, Greg? What's <laughs> that? What's that thing that they're talking about? The uh, we're asking the same. Yeah, question. the the what? Are, I've got it written in my phone somewhere. What's that effect they're saying? The where it rains and rains and the temperatures up and down. Global warming. Or? We'll just go with that. Uh, I'll I'll find it before the end of the show. What word I was looking for? I will find it. But it's um, yeah, it's all over the shop. It's 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 making life bloody hard. Um, 
I keep, I don't know, like it's not going by the book and not that everything goes by the book, but this book's like Harry Potter turning into something about surfing. Like it's just out of control. Well, you fish all the time, five days, yep. five days a week and, and you catalogue the temperatures um, that you've had and you've done that for years now. And even for you, you look back through the data that you've got and it's unusual. It is and you can go onto the BOM website and type in Puffer Bay water temps just to give you guys an example for what we're talking about. Just have a look at the... You can go to year by year by year by year. And this is out of control. Like 14 degrees. You and I had 13 in the ocean. Now, we've had the changeover from the bay being warmer than the ocean. And it nearly went back the other way. Yeah. Like, and this was months ago. We spoke about it. Right, we're on the other side now. Where it's nearly back to the same. But it's, the bay is slightly warmer. We had a few warmer days at the end of the week. So it has come up again. But we just can't get any stability in this water temperature. And... I'm similar to last year. I believe that this snapper season is going to be short and sharp, but good. So it's going to be like a, uh, I guess, an end of November to your December where it's just going to be red hot. But the water's going to go from this 15 degrees to 19 in a month. It's not going to be a gradual rise as the temperature should. It's going to be red hot and it's just going to go bang. The fish will go hard for a period of time, but it's not going to be like a steady snapper season where we see the start of November, it starts fishing good right through to the mid-December, then it gets hot. It's going to be bang, sharp, short, sharp, done. Uh, Simon and Jack, I promise you we'll get to your questions next week, but we have run out of time. Apologies. You're listening to Real Adventures, gearing up after the break. Gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Our special guest this morning is the most recognisable fisherman in the country. It is, of course, Paul Worsling from iFish. Good morning, PW. Good morning. I thought you were talking about someone else for a second then. <laughs> now, this morning we find you in, uh, in rural Victoria and you're doing some fascinating work with fisheries. Yes, I'm in the car, so I apologise if you hear my nav telling you there's speed cameras and things going on, but it's all real, boys. Uh, <laughs> left early this morning and uh, heading up to Lake Dartmouth, and um, it's a beautiful part of the world, very well known for its trout fishery, but there's also a very, very special fish there, and we're going up to do a bit of research on them. So talk to us about these fish and why it's important to to aid them in, in the spawning process, if you will, and the, and the role that Snobbers Creek plays within this. Yeah, so basically there's a fish called a Macquarie perch, and I, I reckon it's probably the most underrated, along with the, the freshwater blackfish, the most underrated freshwater species. And if you go back 100 years, Macquarie perch inhabited so many of our freshwater streams. They're almost like uh, what trout are today. And over the years, because of pollution, because of irrigation, because of... Uh, erosion and overfishing and carp, the Macquarie perch has pretty much disappeared from a lot of its natural habitat. So what fisheries do, and they do so many great projects that people don't know about, they actually go to places like Dartmouth and they net the big spawning female and male Macquarie perch, which really only happens in one or two places in the state properly. And then they literally will get a helicopter, they will fly those fish back to Stobbs Creek at Eildon, they buy the fish a bottle of champagne, <laughs> Turn the lights down, get a nice romantic flick on, like Love Actually or something, and next thing you end up with millions of baby Macquarie perch, and then they release those fish back into their natural habitat where they were 100 years ago. And they've been doing this for many years. I did it five years ago with them, went up and watched what they did, and they've had really good populations of fish come through. 
and uh, it's been a real big success. You've mentioned a couple of spots where they actually uh, are breeding themselves. Now, if I was an angler going to target Macquarie perch, where I've known minimal to nothing about these fish, where would somewhere in the state you would go to actually catch one as an angler? Have you got an easier question? <laughs> <laughs> the Hawkesbury, the, the pair? Well, it sounds no, like the Snobs Hatchery. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally, Dartmouth is one of the few places I know of where you can target these fish successfully. Yep. And there'll be people out there who obviously know more places. I believe you can catch them in the oven, don't quote me. But they're just a fish that literally people know nothing about. They're, they're just, like you guys are into fishing, and you probably, you know nothing about them. And I know nothing yeah, about them. And that's, yep. why so, that's why they're so fascinating. Almost like I said earlier, the river blackfish. They're under your doorstep. They're literally everywhere. But how many people do you know that have actually targeted and gone and caught river blackfish? You and Jet. <laughs> there, you, there, there you go. So, yeah, and, and I think that's why they're so fascinating. And that's why fishing is so cool, boys, because you think you're into it. You think you know it. You do it seven days a week. You live it. You breathe it. And there's all these things that are out there that you literally have no idea about. So you're just never, ever going to stop learning about beautiful things in fishing. So how long has this been going on for, Paul? Because... Obviously, the, the, the more research that's conducted, the, the more you find out about species numbers um, and and what threatens them. How long has this been a real well, focus for, for Vic Fisheries? And also, is it working? Like, because you said it's been going on for a while now. Is it working, the whole, uh, I guess, the process, the whole process of it? Yeah, so, so this has been going on a long time. Like, I'm thinking over a decade, because I did it five years ago, and it was not the first time. And they've actually caught fish now in these rivers that they've released the fish into. They've actually caught fish now that are the prodigy of those original fish they put in. So not the first fish, but they've caught second-generation fish. So they've actually managed to establish some really good populations of Macquarie perch in areas where they were, disappeared, and now they're back. So the answer is... Yes, 100% it's working, and it's just the most incredible program. And, and Fisheries, Arthur Riley Institute, these things are happening every day of the year. People out in swag, camps on riverbanks doing these incredible jobs. I mean, they just did that thing with that Malakuda with the flathead that I went and filmed where they went and, we went and caught flathead, male and female flathead, did the same thing. They took them up to the rumour, and I think they hatched something like half a million or a couple of million baby flathead, then put them back into the Gippsland Lake where there's now... No, no netting, and you're not allowed to keep a flathead over, I think, 65, 70 centimetres. So it's a damn good process. Like the prawns that they put into uh, Lake Tyres, the Mulloway they released there, all these projects, they're world-leading, which is so cool for Victoria. Do you think, Paul, they've, they've been, uh, and I hope they don't take offence to this, Aaron, because do you think they've been a, there's, there's been an issue because they're, they're not a beautiful-looking spe- species compared to what trout are, both rainbow and browns. Yep, rainbow and browns are both introduced species. Were introduced 150 odd years ago. Do you think they've been a victim of the fact that they're they're not the most beautiful looking fish or the sexiest fish on the fishing calendar throughout the country? Well, you and Red would know this. <laughs> have, have you boys been Have you boys been victimised in your life? <laughs> Aaron, With my no, mouse brown uh, complexion, no. Yeah, yeah, definitely mouse brown. Definitely mouse brown. <laughs> uh, look, hundred percent, Pat. They're not. They're not that rainbow trout with the beautiful rainbow down the side or the brown with those golden spots and and believe it or not the, the brown and rainbow trout are a feral animal they're an introduced species but because they're such a romantic fish yep. they get all the limelight but I mean, when you catch a Macquarie perch Jeff was asking about them last night and he was sort of saying tell me about them dad and the best way I could put it almost like 
the fresh water, like the 100% fresh water version of an estuary perch. It's about as close as I could come up with. And they do have that same, like, I love estuary perch. I think this is the most incredible, beautiful fish. And when you catch one, you hold it in your hand. They do have that Murray Cod-esque feel. Like a Murray Cod just has this special vibe about it. And, and the Macquarie perch, at its nickname, is a macca. The macca has that same feel. And when you finally catch one, they do have that unique thing. That I don't know what it is, but I'll go back to the castle and just say it's the vibe. It's all about the vibe. <laughs> Speaking of the vibe, the vibe is changing right around the country now. And, Paul, I've been on the phone to you for the last two and a bit years with your limited travel and, uh, I guess, the amount of the effects COVID has had has had on iFish and your income about travelling wherever you need to go to catch some of the best fish in the world. It is opening. Things are starting to lighten up for yourself. What is going to happen with iFish now in the next, I guess, as soon as you can get to where you need to be? Well, yes, Tommy's in the car. We were just having a production meeting over a very nice cup of coffee. And it looks like in the next month or two, we're going to hit the road pretty seriously. When I say hit the road, I think we will actually drive and probably go to New South Wales and do a bit of work north and south of Sydney. There's some fantastic fishing options like Port Stephens, all those areas back towards Sydney. Um, I've got a mate called Scotty Sorrington. He's got a reef offshore that he found an old naval wreck and it's loaded with big kings and bass roper and snapper. Pretty keen to go check that out. I definitely want to get down to Tasmania. Pat and I were speaking this week. Tassie is just such a special, special place, as you know, Patrick. And the fishing options are out of control. And I'm thinking uh, there's some massive mako sharks off the shelf of St. Helens over the next couple of months. Striped trumpeter, some big flathead swords will still be around. Big bluefin tuna. I'll probably go and check that stuff out. And I'm very keen to get over to South Australia towards Kangaroo Island. Yep. And maybe, maybe even Port Lincoln because it's probably one of the fishiest places on the planet, Port Lincoln. Like, if you want to go on a holiday with the family and enjoy Australia and just getting back to basics, Port Lincoln would be the place, I reckon. The fishing's out of control. The land-based options are just so good. And the food, like the natural oysters there and, and the fresh squid you catch off the pier and all those sorts of things, it's just a very special place. I think that's uh, season 464 for iFish and he's just named 495 different places. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Paul, before we let you go, your Cranbourne Factory Outlet, uh, Tackle World Factory Outlet, that is, um, you're having a closing down sale. I think it's from the 26th. Can we talk about that just before we let you go? Because you're releasing uh, some gear that's under cost, so there's some great bargains to be had for for those that are willing to get in the car and go check out the uh, the factory. The 50-cent wall, by memory, I think it was on social media. Yes, 50-cent wall. So basically, we started a clearance centre two and a half years ago because we've had the shop 32 years. And in that period, you make a few mistakes buying. And uh, over 32 years, we've accumulated some incredible stuff. And basically, we've sold most of it. There's a little bit left. We're going to close it down. And there is a 50-cent wall. I reckon there's about three or 4,000 items on that wall that range in price from 5 to $30 maybe, and every single thing is 50 cents. Every single other thing in that clearance center, which is a little shop, will be 50% off the lowest marked price. Now, some of that stuff already 70, 80% off, it'll be half that price. So there will be, I think I reckon there's about 100 grand worth of fishing tackle in there, and I reckon on the day it'll probably sell for about 10 grand. So there's going to be some genuine bargains, and it's very hard. I'll give you the tip, boys, it hurts because I am Dutch, and I want to take a look at that. I was just saying, can I have this? What about it? Surely that's good. And the boys are saying, it's 
got to go. So I'll be I'll be going in and taking a box full for myself because I just can't bear to give it away. But it's going to be the best fishing tackle clearance we've ever had, and I just hope it all goes because uh, it's time to move on. That is Tackle World in Cranbourne, of course. Paul Worsling from iFish, thank you for joining Real Adventures this morning and talking about your work with Vic Fisheries and, of course, Tackle World Cranbourne. Thanks, lads. Have a great day. That was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. It's now time for Red's review, and you've actually taken it this week, maybe slightly lack of organisation by myself, but there is something that you do want to kid out on the boat, so it is very relevant. Take us through Red's review. It is, Redmond. I've spent a bit of time over the off-season fishing in sort of a few different locations, and I spent some time uh, with a relative, um, Nathan King, who's a brilliant, absolutely brilliant uh, flattered fisherman, and he's got this... Beautiful open. from the Gippsland region. Gippsland region, region lives in Lake Tyres. Yep. Um, Flatties, bass, you name it. Eps. This man is a. Is a it's like it's a. Uh, it's a wand. He's fishing rod. Right? He's he's sensational. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things that he's got in his boat because there's only so much. At, at some stage, you've got to pull back on on all the accessories that you put on a boat. But one of the things that Nathan's got on his, I think it's a four eighty Hornet. It's a. Um, Open boat, Quintrex, absolute ripper. 75 yammy on the back. Like, it's it's fantastic. But one of the things he's got, he's got a Railblazer swing arm. It's called an R-lock arm. And what it means is he can have his, uh, his fish finder, I think it's a Garmin unit, set up on his side console. But then he can swing that arm around. So when he's fishing from the front of the boat and he's using his Minn Kota, he can swing that arm around. Yeah, and, right. And... He can face the the unit in the other direction. So rather than having to spend on the two units twice as much and have a a, a bow mounted, you know, ten inch screen, you can swing with this R lock arm your fish finder right around, and they're expensive. They're not. They're not. But super how how cheap. much are they? We're talking a few hundred bucks. So a few hundred bucks is going to yep. save you a few thousand though. Exactly. Exactly, and that's my point. And the and the other point is when you are bow mounting. A, a fish finder or yep. a combo, whatever it is, it's going to get more wear and tear quite clearly because of where it's positioned. Whereas with this, it still sits on the side console. You swing that arm around and you can get the, the size of the unit that Nathan's riding. I think it's a 12-inch it might be. So it's, it's, it's bloody quite big. Quite big, yeah. Which you can easily see from the bow of a 4.8-metre boat. So uh, Railblazer is the brand. They're a New Zealand company. And if you want more info on it, Head to railblazer.com. They're, they're absolutely they do a great brilliant. range of all sorts of things along those lines as well. There's multiple things that you and I, I know you're going to try and kit your boat out with a few of these items. Yeah, the rod holders, so whether that be, um, and, and they're, they're universal. So once you put in the, the mechanism that you drill into the boat or screw into the boat, then so the you, based. The base, exactly. Then you can change um, a whole range of different rod holders, swinging arms, uh, fish finder mounts, you name it. Um, it, the universal application of it, filleting tables, um, means that you can you can change it uh, now, and adapt your fishing to, to what sort of fish you're chasing and where you need to have those rod holders or fish finders located. Drink holders. I'll be honest, when I first seen this product, I, it looks sort of like that, just on, online and whatnot, it sort of looks tacky. Like it actually yep. does look plasticky and tacky. 
But when you actually see the product in person, and, and we've got no affiliation like, with this product in, at all in the slightest. Not at all. It costs it's, a fortune. It costs, it's bloody expensive. <laughs> so this is legit. It, it isn't crap. It nah, actually isn't crap. So if brilliant. you do want to, especially the kayaks and the smaller boats that you've just, I think it's the ultimate product. It, it really is. They're, they're certainly class leading when it comes to removable products. They absolutely kill the kayaking scene. They're, they're used on most kayaks and we're starting to see them on more boats now as well. That was Red's Review. We'll see you after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. On the home stretch, it's time for Red's Tip. It is. Now, this, is, does, this doesn't matter wherever you are in the world if you're driving a boat in a marina. Now, during the week, we, I'm giving you the example of how what we experienced so you guys can... Well, you weren't on the boat. You were getting the car. But when you are in a marina, and we speak about this on the show regularly, it's about using power in your engines. Now... It's hard to, be, to put it into perspective for you guys, but I was coming into where we'd get the boat lifted out out of the Queenslift Harbour. Yep. And they had the dredge working, plus a boat getting fuel. And there was a little bit of, of wind. Yep, w- Southeasterly. Yep. Which was coming into the harbour. So it was hit, It was pushing me. Now, oh, and, and plus there was a yacht that was stuck on the bottom in that marina that couldn't get out either. because Which which <laughs> often happens in marinas. Like, oh, it there's does. stuff happening. It, it, that's, that's the best way. There's shit going on everywhere. <laughs> there's crap going literally everywhere. So I was coming into the marina and um, I, I was hesitant at the start because I didn't know where the dread, dredged arm was going and I didn't, things were going on. But you're brand new North Bank. I'm going to crash this into a dredge. And I'm sitting there and I've gone and I said, we had the Channel 9 reporter on the boat and I said, I'm just going to go for it here. Like, I've got to go for it. I've just got to go for it. And he goes to me, geez, you're driving quite quick. Like, you're going quite quick. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm not going quick in the aspect. I'm not going 15, 30 kilometers an hour. Yeah. Or 15 to 30. I'm just using the power of the throttle, the engine, to push me around corners and to get me through. Now, the reason. Because it's not like you're dealing with four tires that are not glued to the, <laughs> to the ground, but because Close of the enough. weight, they're stuck. Momentum keeps pushing you with water. Yep. And we had incoming tide too. So, what I'm trying to say is when you are in a marina or in a place where you don't necessarily want to be and you're not comfortable as such now it's hard to get the balance i know it is because you've got to using power scares you because you think you're going to hit stuff harder which you will but what one thing that it will give you is control yep. control the boat i could move your boat by using the engine power to actually glide into the pens in and around these things where if i had to just try to turn the wheel slowly i wouldn't have gone anywhere at all i just would not have gone so yes it takes a bit of confidence a little bit of skill and i guess expertise as in to actually learn your engines and your boats in its Self, but if you are in around a marina and there's no no one around, it's worth trying. Try try to do things a little bit later and use the power because I literally was turning right hand down, left hand backwards, frontwards. It was it was it was hard to do, but all I'm going to say, Red's tip this week is power using your engine to push you around harbors rather than going slow and letting the other elements like tide and wind have control over you. I like it. Beautiful work, Redman. It's time for the flying gaff. And the flying gaff, we mentioned it throughout the show today, but it's heading out west. Unfortunately, there's a beautiful, what looked to be a Riviera in the sort of 50-foot range, uh, has run aground just shy of Rocknest Island. And it's safe to say that's a $3.5 million mistake. Can you see where they've run aground? Is it actually like near, is it near an island or is it? Yeah, it's near Rocknest. Oh, it's right near Rotto. It's near, right near Rotto. And, oh boy. Well, it was sinking. <laughs> no, it's sunk. <laughs> it's, what's a good wreck? 
<laughs> you got the GPS coordinates? That is a three and a half million dollar mistake. So the flying gaffs turned into the flying reef. And there isn't, that's one of the most beautiful boats in the world, the Riviera, you know, 52 or whatever it might have been. You'd nearly give up the family for a Riviera, big 70 foot Riviera. In an instant. <laughs> You've been listening to Real Adventures. Thanks for your company this morning. We'll Pat, see- and I, Pat and I will both be single next week from this show. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.